In this episode of Man vs. Marriage, it's autism support unscripted. Now, wait a minute. Even if you don't have children or family members with autism, it's likely that you know somebody who does. So stay on, listen to this, and hopefully we can help you help them or at least give them somewhere to go as an outlet. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself that's possible. This is Man vs. Marriage. The podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Man vs. Marriage. It is I, the cute dog in the Moran family studio with my Lovely wife, my favorite woman in the whole world, my favorite person on planet Earth, Jeannie Moran. Hi, baby. Hey, baby. What's happening? So today we're going to do a little bit of discussion when it comes to autism and an episode on autism, and we're going to do it somewhat unscripted, kind of a hybrid scripted, unscripted. While autism is alive and well and happy down the hallway. (laughs) Yeah, you know that uh, Moran family disclaimer that I try to give every so often to say, hey, you know, we're a family of 11. My niece just came over, so now there's 12 people here. we got four dogs, a couple fish, um, and three of our children have autism. Actually, there's only 11 people here because Hannah's at work. Uh, and with that being said, there is always noise. Uh, there's a good chance somebody's going to come knock on the door, and we are shoestring budget. Do this podcast at home, passion project. So that is where it's at. I have espoused the idea. That if you want to pay for a studio, get in contact with me. Quincy at MVSMpodcast.com. And uh, we can talk about, you know, a five-year sponsorship agreement. I'll settle for a she shed. She shed. <laughs> Hold on. I had to take a drink of my Black Rifle coffee in my Steven Crowder mug. Neither of which are a sponsor of the show, but it's just the way I roll. <laughs> um, with that being said, we... I, I, I want to uh, let you know that if you um, are affected by autism or you have family members that are, we have several episodes I would ask you to go download and listen to and share. Um, And I'm sure there's more in there, but uh, 45, stop everything. Episode 44, 45, 46, and then throughout the thread of 122, 123, and 124, because that 122, 123, 124 is our story unscripted. We talk about um, autism throughout the duration of that particular uh, group of shows because it is such a large part of our life. Matter of fact, it's uh, it has affected our marriage, it's affected our family, and it is affecting our future mm-hmm. and what that looks like. And <clears throat> that is in no way trying to ask you to feel sorry for us. Um, I'd probably punch you if you did. I mean... I'm not saying I would punch you, but maybe, you know, it's... Look. I didn't say you said it. I said it. I yeah. don't I don't deal with pity well when it comes to them. I, I don't feel sorry for our situation. Could it be better? Could it be different? Absolutely. But... It is hard. And there have been times where, you know, I have really, really gotten into despair. And, you know, those are usually multiple sleepless nights or, you know... Um, the day they recognize they're different. They recognize they're different, that their life is not going to be the same, that there are some things they are not going to be able to do. That is really, really hard. Emotional outbursts, physical limitations, 
you know, those types of things. So for, uh, for Jeannie and I, um, you know, we were both told that we couldn't have kids. And then we were told we could. And then we started having children. And we, we got really good at it. Yeah, we <laughs> did. Come on. We got very good at it. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I like doing that. Uh, with that being said, we started out uh, having a boy. And then we ended up having triplet girls. And then a girl. And then twin girls. And another girl. And, uh, I'm detecting a pattern here. Yeah. Out of our eight biological children, we have three um, with varying degrees of autism. One very high function. Like if you met her, you might think she's just kind of quirky, but you wouldn't necessarily know that she has autism. Uh, my son, who's moderate, um, and you could tell if you spoke with him that he, you know, there's something not necessarily typical about him. And then uh, my daughter, Kirsten, and you would be able to tell straight away that uh, she is severe, autistic. Now, there are some people out there, and, and good on them, good fortune to them. They have very calm, uh, brilliant, accomplished children with autism that play pianos and, you know, do find one thing to focus on and become absolutely savant status. That is not our children. <laughs> um well, I mean, Kiki does have one thing to focus on. It's just not, you know, savant status. <laughs> if there was a savant classification for breaking crayons, then she probably Yes, would. Olympic champion right there, buddy. She would be savant status when it came to Crayola crushing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that is not it. But what I want to talk about is I want to kind of cover quickly a few facets. One of the harder things for us, um, and I'll ask Jeannie to talk about this, was the diagnosis process. Now, Hunter was born with microtia, so he has one ear that is not like the other ear. It, it was... Uh, it's not fully developed. He was born missing a half of his ear, and the canal to his ear is extremely narrow, so that side is um, a 70% loss right out the gate. Right, and there are some things that come along. There are some traits um, that come along with being hard of hearing that were evident in his behavior, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but his diagnosis took a while. Maybe I just wasn't willing to come to terms with it. He was my only son at the time. Um, well, we had nothing to gauge it by. I mean... Well, we did have the test to gauge it by. And he did many of those things, but I think we just explained it away with, oh, those are prevalent and hard of hearing as well. Yeah, it's, it's very... They're the same with hard of hearing and um, a deaf child who's trying to find their way and... Um, you know, learn like everybody else. He just was not grasping it. There was a sign early on at church <coughs> one time when, when Grandma got him this little fuzzy chick for Easter, tried to hand it to him, and he flipped the bleep out. Well, that and small dogs. Oh, my goodness. His fear of small dogs and his ability to climb you like a freaking tree was just... That was a cat. <laughs> that was a cat at that one house. They had a shave like a lion. So yeah. with that being said, it took a little while for me to come around. It took a while for me to come around, and really come to grips with, I have to get my own ego, my own disappointment out of the way that my child may have yet another disability and focus, really the word that's coming up lately too is prioritize what is going to help this young man. Yeah. Um, Quality get, of life. Get what he needs um, <coughs> to help himself in his life. And so the first that we, the first child we took as far as, you know, professional diagnosis 
was our daughter Hannah. She's both of the triplets are affected, or two of the three of the triplets are affected. I guess I should say, and um, middle triplet Hannah. Um, there were some things going on. She was before she had such major health issues and seizures and uh, you know um, brain surgery type things. She was on that path, you know, of being much brighter than just a basic, you know, a typical average child. Mm-hmm. Um, she had some major setbacks, but I'll have Jeannie talk to you. I wasn't there. Um, I was working and she took kids to the doctor. This woman used to take five kids at five and under into Costco. I mean, into Sam's Club and do her shopping, Walmart. She, and I'll tell you, you, you had some magic in you. Just getting it down to a system. So a quick little kudos to you, love. But talk about your experience there so we can kind of help people that may be going through the process relating to the diagnosis. Well, what started it was um, Hannah was really, really smart. She had born with a brain bleed, had to have her shunt put in. Um, But because she was slow to develop her motor skills, her speech was developed a lot sooner her ability, she just sat and watched. Like, she soaked in everything. And um, at a young age, she was picking stuff up really fast. So, I mean, she started talking at nine months. That's not normal yeah. on, on baby scale. But she couldn't crawl. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't do anything at that point. So all she did was watch, absorb, and repeat. And then um, the same child learned to crawl, pull up to the furniture, and walk along the furniture in the same freaking day. Mm-hmm. Like, she just all of a sudden got up one morning, and it all clicked. And I, honestly, Quincy and I were both going, what the hell just happened? <clears throat> but it, she had been watching and just taking it all in, and eventually everything just kind of clicked together. Well, um, she was two years, nine months. It was August. I know that because we had just moved into our new home. And um, Hannah had a 40-minute long grand mal seizure, which she had never done before. And um, if you've ever experienced a seizure, a small seizure is scary as hell. A 40-minute one where you cannot tell if she's breathing. You can't tell if she can hear you. You can't tell anything. All you can do is scream at the guy on the phone to hurry up and get your ass over here because I can't stop this. Um. I got in the ambulance with her. It took three different rounds of medication. She continued to seize in the ambulance on the way there. They stopped it. It started back up. They stopped it. It started back up. By the time we got her to the hospital, she was completely sedated. Um, What had happened in that course of time, the next day they come in and they do, you know, the test, the seizure test to see, is this epilepsy? Is this a fluke? Did she have a febrile seizure like they go through the whole gamut of stuff well normal children when they have a seizure if you bring a strobe light in everyone's normal reaction is to close your eyes and squint away from it and try to get out of it because it's annoying and obnoxious hannah turned around and looked at the guy wide-eyed smiling again and they thought it was a joke and they were like well no no it's not it's not safe for her again and so the tech who was running the test, said, well, let's just see, because the first one didn't really show any seizure activity. They did it a second time, and Hannah was the same way. She loved it. 
anything with lights and sounds drew her attention. And so they came back and they determined, you know, she's epileptic. Okay, cool. We can deal with that. Over the next couple of weeks after the seizure, Quincy and I started noticing some odd personality traits that were coming in. Hannah all of a sudden was not the people person she was before. She didn't want people sitting with her and touching her and crawling in your lap and loving on you. She wanted to sit by herself untouched and rock. And she's always rocked. But we kind of attributed that to the fact that when she was an infant, they used to have me hold her kangaroo style, which is skin on skin, and rock with her in a rocking chair because I was nursing her and she was trying to um, come out of all of her surgery. And shout out to the family members who would tell you, would give you their professional advice to say she rocks because she's uh, she's not getting enough attention. Yeah, I'm going to skip past that one right now. Um, but there is a there, certain... There is, there's an element, and, and just I'll remind myself here, talk about... Outside voices and their influence. I gotcha. Outside voice. Yeah, that's a better way. I was going to write much more. Okay, so, so go ahead. So we, we went through this process. We took her to the doctor. They put her on a medication that was for adults, not children. That was the first mistake. Um, phenobarbital is actually, it even says it in the paperwork, not to be given to anyone under the age of 18. And that was the very first medication that they gave her. Shout out to that idiot doctor who's a douchebag. So um, they attributed her odd behaviors to this medication because she was always tired. She didn't like being around people. And Hannah in the beginning was a very clingy, very personable person because she couldn't crawl and she couldn't walk. So when you would come over and spend time with her, you had to hold her and cuddle her. You had to physically connect with this child and have fun with her. And she looked forward to that. And then all of a sudden it just stopped. And so it was kind of odd. Then we noticed things like when people would come over, Hannah couldn't handle the noise. She would go in her room and want to watch Blue's Clues or Dora. Both three-step shows that had a beginning, middle, and end. And we didn't click these things when it happened. It, it's hindsight is twenty twenty. Going back and looking at it and talking to the doctors, like something is off. My really super smart kid is suddenly not interested in learning. She just wants to veg out, and she does not want people anywhere near her. Her rocking became more incessant. Her sleep patterns became fewer. Um, she was just not herself. So we finally, <laughs> we're dealing with this for a couple of years because Hannah was still having the stuff with the shunt. And they couldn't decide if we needed to have something done with the shunt, if it was actually just seizures, because she was still having seizures periodically. Um, and they just, you know, the, the way doctors do, well, let's just watch and see. While we watched and saw, she got further and further away from us. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't that she was mean about it. or I mean, Kirsten's withdrawal was totally different. Hannah's withdrawal was piece by piece. Kirsten's was cold turkey. Just all of a sudden one day she woke up and she was a different kid. And for Hannah, it was just kind of like changing medications. Was it the medication causing the problem? So finally, race forward about four years and nine months is the diagnosis day. It is the worst freaking day ever for me because... Um, we went in to see a neurologist for Hannah, and I had to take the triplets with me. And um, 
you know, I took them all three into the office. The other Hunter was um, at school. And Ashlyn, um, I don't remember if Ashlyn was born yet. I think she, yeah, she was. She was uh, staying with a friend, I think, that day. So I took the three girls in, and Gracie was just chipper. She's so different now. Um, she was very chipper and personable, but you would take her to a anywhere with a kid's area, and if there is a book in sight, I don't care if it's a color book, a hardback book, a pop-up book, Gracie grabs the book, and she's perfectly content. So we're sitting in the office, and it's just me and the doctor um, and the three girls. Gracie's sitting up on the top, and she's out loud pretending to read the story, and you know, like kids normally do. And Hannah's looking at toys and playing with them, and they're, like, counting toys and counting beads and, you know, different things. And the doctor starts working with her, and I've got Kirsten sitting next to me on the, the table, and, um, you know, doctor starts asking questions about Hannah. And then all of a sudden, towards the end, she says, okay, so Hannah is on the higher end of the spectrum. I, I'm sure that she's autistic. However, um... I don't see it being as severe as it could be. I see her being more high functional. If we get preventative care in, we get intervention in, we start working with in-home, um, you know, get her into services at school right away, and provided the seizures and the brain surgeries stay under control, she thinks Hannah will develop fairly normally and have a normal life. However, that child... And she pointed to Kirsten, she's definitely on the spectrum. And I would go as far to say as she's on the severe end. And I just cracked in half because Kirsten the whole time we were there was sitting on the chair on the table next to me. And I didn't think anything of it because she was quiet. She was behaving. So I wasn't like on her, yeah. you know. I was trying to focus on Hannah. And as long as Kirsten and Gracie were within arm's reach of me and behaving themselves, we were good. And Kirsten was sitting on the end of the table. The blinds were open. There's a little, like, play yard with trees and stuff at UCLA where the kids can, you can see it outside the window. And she was watching the trees sway and was swaying with them in her seat. Never said a word, never made a sound. All these toys are going back and forth between Gracie and Hannah and, you know, the doctor and whatnot. And Kirsten never responded. Lights and sounds went off, siren noises. All these different things that they were trying to do to see if Hannah had a response. Kirsten never batted an eye. And I didn't even notice it because she was behaving herself. Yeah. You know, when, when, when you have as many as we had, as little as they were, if they're all quiet, calm, and behaving themselves, you don't question. You just enjoy. And all of a sudden, she's like, yeah, no, that one right there, you need to keep an eye on her. It's like, Okay. I came home, and I think Quincy and I just fell apart. <laughs> I fell apart. I was on the computer instantly. What is autism? Where do I go? How do I get help? What am I looking for? Because they were getting ready to go to school. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what we were up against. And um, Kirsten, from that day forward, we just started noticing more and more the things the doctor was seeing. You know, she didn't like to be touched. She didn't like to sit in your lap. She didn't like to cuddle. Whereas before, she used to cuddle with Hunter all the time. Yeah. 
she used to be in the middle of whatever Gracie was doing. Now, she's still extremely close with Gracie. That's like her favorite go-to person. But at the time um, when the diagnosis came out, it, it just, it crushed me because I, there, I never saw it. She met her milestones. She was a, a smiley little girl. She played with toys. She hated star- stuffed animals and baby dolls creeped her the crap out. And they still do to this day. But, I mean, Gracie couldn't stand koosh balls, so I just took it as it's one of those things that she's just never going to like, and that's fine. But little by little, we started noticing. Um, I think the first time that we really noticed it, she was walking around, and she just slammed her head into the entertainment center. And I freaked out because there was blood in her ear. I had no idea what happened. Quincy was out front working on the van. I ran outside to go get him. It's like, I don't know what she did but something's wrong. So we went to take her to the doctor, come to find out she had a double ear infection. She was around 103 fever. The blood was not because she hit her head. She hit her head because her equilibrium was off and she fell. Never once did the child cry. Even when she hit her head, she didn't cry. I was like, what are, what are we dealing with? I don't understand. And when they told us all these things that were wrong with her, I think that's the moment that everything just hit because she's she doesn't register she's not normal and she can't tell me she's sitting here with 103 fever and a dual ear infection if that was hunter whenever hunter's ears hurt he was a screaming maniac until we could get the pain to go away Mm -hmm. she never flinched if my kid can't tell me that she's hurting i can't fix it and i think that was the the hardest epiphany moment for me was I will never know how to fix it. Yeah, that's hard. That's really hard. So if you have um, if you yourself have been through it or have family, you know, family members or friends who are going through the diagnosis process now. And I mean, that's why they call autism a spectrum, because it is it seems to be broadening itself. Mm-hmm. I think at some point there's a, a point where it maybe goes too far. Um, but as far as, you know, the the spectrum goes you know that was that was in the early 2000s so um while there was like it was 166 at the time well i was looking in in 1994 it was one in 150 Mm -hmm. and then by the time 2004 came around it was one in 68 Mm -hmm. and from there it just started to ramp started to ramp up you know that's a that's a pretty dramatic shift in a short amount of time when it comes to a diagnosis. So I, you don't know if that is just like us, you know, ignorance of what autism is. Maybe you just think your kid's quirky or, or whatever. The, whatever we hadn't that heard of it. Like. When, when it came around to our kids, we hadn't heard of it. I mean, when we were growing up, if a kid acted the way that, that Kirsten did, they were considered mentally retarded, and that was the end of it. There was no yeah. real label or spectrum or what is this or why is this. They were just all lumped into one category. Right. And, you know, so when we found out about it, it was like, let me go get every ounce of information I can find. I mean, I went on a freaking mission to find out what am I dealing with and what do I need to do as a mom? Because that, for me, it was like I was an instant failure. I took it to heart that I carried triplets. I didn't carry them full term. I couldn't even carry them. (laughs) I got barely to the third trimester 
and then they were born. I just, my body couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was mentally and emotionally just done by the time they were born. And the amount of hell that we went through just to get them home. I mean, they said they were in the hospital three different times was when they came home. And Hannah came home and 24 hours later turned around and went back. Yeah, that was scary. So, you know, it's like there were so many things going on. And on top of that, we had Bubba. And trying to, at the time that, that they were born, we were just learning how to deal with Hunter being hard of hearing. And he had services coming in and trying to teach him because he wasn't talking. And they were trying to help him use sign language and speech and trying to teach me how to communicate with him and how to keep him, you know, progressing and hitting his milestones while I was trying to deal with these three that had, you know, a really long road ahead of them on top of everything else. And when we found out (laughs) the poor guy that we dealt with for Hunter, okay, first of all, if you're a school psych, I appreciate you. I would appreciate you more if you would stay in your lane. Um, I, I get what their purpose is and why they do things, but this guy just pissed me off to no end. And I was pregnant, which probably didn't help the case. Plus, I think that's the first time anyone in a school structure situation ever realized that my husband is not just the silent man who sits beside me and is the, you know, yes man to whatever my wife wants. That was the first time he ever got in somebody's face for being disrespectful in the way he was talking to me about our son. (laughs) And I got to tell you, it was pretty freaking hot. But the guy probably swallowed his tongue for a second. Um When we found out about Hunter, you know, Hunter was already hard of hearing. I had just started working with um, trying to find other ways for him to communicate. He had been in school. We did eight surgeries to try to repair this ear because the doctor that we were working with said, well, if we make it look normal, it might be a little easier for him to go through life. And that was our goal. It wasn't because we wanted to change him. It was he won't get picked on as much. He'll fit in a little bit better. If people don't realize you're hard of hearing just by looking at you, it's kind of an a-hole thing, but it's the truth. Kids are mean. And we probably did more harm than good. We Um, did. His body rejected every surgery. It just would not take the prosthetic. It would not. um, It didn't heal properly. Um, You know, he when he got his earrings, that was probably the coolest thing because now he has a reason to have a hole in his ear. But, you know, we... We tried to do what we thought was best. The only thing we didn't do was a cochlear implant, and that was because there's a 50-50 shot that they could screw things up and really mess up his life. And that was one of those things that we just decided we're not taking that risk. I know that there's a really high percentage of success rate, but when your kid's already been through so much hell and you've got a 50-50 shot, you just kind of – pick your battles and say, you know what, we'll, we'll just deal with whatever comes. Well, had we understood, I, I think had I understood, you know, the situation with autism at the time, I would have opted for later in life and kind of giving him the choice. The choice. I, I kind of took a step back and I was like, when this kid's 15, you know, this is before any kind of diagnosis of anything. I'm like, when this kid's 15, do I really want him pissed at me that I didn't try to get him another a, a more normalized ear i didn't know if it could help him hear any better uh, you know cosmetically 
Could it give him a little more confidence? Would it make him seem a little more normal? Blah, blah, blah. Um, but really, what we could have done and should have done, hindsight's twenty twenty, like you say, is just allow him to grow up with deer the way it was. Yeah. And when he gets older, is it something that you want to do? Or is it just a unique part of you that maybe didn't develop and will give you the opportunity to reach out and connect with other people who are like you and all the beauty that came from you learning sign language and mm -hmm. hunter and you helping families learn sign language and you know ultimately major major blessing that, that came out of a very hard situation but all that to say you know that's our experience or at least part of our experience when it comes to the diagnosis process and it can be a really really challenging time for the for the mom and the dad and you know if the siblings know or and are old enough to kind of comprehend what it is it can be really really tough well and it may not come from where you're expecting it it's not always the doctor that points it out when we we moved hunter to a dhh program because hard of hearing was his primary issue that we knew of yeah and sign language helped him so we said okay well there's this program we're going to move him here we fought with the schools um, we, we went through a long, tedious process and we made it happen. It was the DHH teacher that said, I think we need to have him tested because his behaviors are not the same. And she's deaf. You know, she has, she has deaf family members, hearing family members. She says, no, this is, this is not what we normally deal with. And, um, his, frustration and his anger became more and more not because he couldn't communicate he wasn't understanding stuff right and he just couldn't i mean if you erase something off his page and told him do it again he lost his ever loving mind yep and um the tantrums and the the bathroom issue i mean he would go in the bathroom and he'd strip himself down to go to the bathroom and shove his clothes under the door and the first time that he did that he had an accident he ran to the office with nothing on his bottom half. And mind you, this is across the campus. And went straight into the nurse's office to tell her to call me because he had soiled his pants. He left his clothes in the bathroom. He was eight years old. Kudos to him for making it to the nurse's office. Well, he, w he had a dirty rear and was he had already messed himself. But he ran to the office and the teacher called me. The nurse called me. And they're like, we don't know what to do with him. We had to put something on him. So they took something out of Lost and Found and covered him up. They're not allowed to touch him to clean him up or whatever. And I think that was the defining moment for both of us to say, okay, something else is going on yeah. here because another kid could have swiped his clothes. I mean, that was my first thought was, did somebody take his stuff and prank him? And no, he, he did this himself. His first thought when he had the accident was, I need my mom, which totally makes sense. Yeah. But at that age, it should have registered, I need to go to the teacher to go to the nurse so anyway long and short of it we did his IEP we had him tested and it came back your son is definitely on the spectrum he's moderate to severe and Quincy and I just folded because all this time we could have done all these preventative things because we've been doing it with the other girls and now that we knew we could have been doing it did we fail him yeah that was a that was a very hard time and you know, that's where, like, the next phase of this discussion comes in is that how does it affect, you know, your family? And one of those one of those things I alluded to earlier is, you know, we had family over, and one of the girls was rocking, and, you know, one of our family members decided to tell Jeannie, and I kind of overheard it, 
um, that she was, and maybe she, maybe she told me to, but you know, it's like, well, the reason she's rocking is because she's neglected. She's not getting the right attention from her mother that she needs, so she's rocking, and that is that is the only thing that'll soothe her. Mm. And it was like, no, no, that's not actually it. But there are there are you know, family members or friends, outside voices or influences, Jeannie alluded to. was, uh, you know, if you would discipline them. Oh, gosh. If you would discipline her, she wouldn't act like that. Sometimes you have to just spank it out of them or put them in the corner. But if you would discipline, if you can show me someone who has whipped the autism out of a child, please send them my way. I would like to see the, the stats on how that happened because... All it did was made us feel like shit. Yeah, especially when, uh, you know, we spent some time disciplining the kids and then figured out, got the diagnosis back that there was autism. It was uh, it was one of the yeah. lowest points of my life. Yeah. Um, well, even I'm, so much as putting them in a corner. I'm, sh- I'm about structure. Out. I'm about discipline. And, you know, we still, you know, have to discipline Hunter and Kirsten now. Hannah, she's... She's much more high function, you know, but e- even as, as when they were little, you know, you got to you have to teach about cause and effect. And that, that was our opinion and our method. But there are certainly things that I would have I would not have done had it been understood that she had a disability, that he had a disability. That it would have been very different. It would have it would have been different. It would have been consistent because I was consistent and, you know, how I carried those things out. But. It would have just been different, and we it, wouldn't and it have was left him with teenagers either. Yeah, it it was <laughs> a, it was a very, it was a very very difficult time, you know. And you talk about hating yourself for things. Yeah. Oh my gosh, just, just terrible times. So just understand that it it does affect, you know, it w- it can and and will affect you know your family depending on when you get the the diagnosis. There there is a ripple effect. Um, it can affect your marriage. It can affect your parenting. It can affect your children. Um, it can affect your holidays mm-hmm. when it comes to, you know, how you celebrate, you know, Christmas or birthdays. Well, even your friendships. I mean, we had a number of people in our life that in the beginning when she was fine, we were all invited. But as her um, tantrums and her frustrations I mean, she can't help that. She doesn't understand. And her only means to communicate. I mean, she lost her speech. Mm. Kirsten was very verbal, talked a lot, full sentences. And then all of a sudden, it just changed. And it went from don't touch that to she didn't understand don't. She didn't. I mean, to this day, she has broken English. She doesn't have a round conversation. You can ask her a question, and you will get five different answers before you actually get the answer you're looking for. Now but I, it was one of those things where we just we didn't know. We just didn't freaking know. And yeah. people would say, well, she's a bit much to handle, so if you could bring the other kids over, that would be great. And that, to me, was disheartening because she's still Kirsten. And I know she's a lot to handle, but it just sucked to be told <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know, as much as we didn't know what we were dealing with, I'm sure they didn't either. We had wonderful families around us, the Littles, Nikki V, you know, that really embraced us and got us through some very, very hard 
and challenging times. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they knew how how low we had gotten from time to time, but that is that is you know putting that out there is just to say if you if you're not um, if autism is not necessarily in your life and your immediate family or your day to day, but there are people who are out there. I want you to just let them know that there are people out there that you listen to that they that can help relate to what they're going through and feel free to use our email address for them to connect out you know it's not autism parents are not always in our experience you know open to discuss the low moments um they will talk about you know what they're what they're going through what their child is going through but some of the really low lonely painful moments they won't necessarily bring out for everybody to play with, Mm-mm. if you know what I mean. Um, so we're just offering, we're offering our experience as a resource for those people, either you, who's directly affected by it, or those people in your life who are affected by it. And I know this is a marriage podcast, but it has affected our life. It has affected our marriage and our relationship, and it's affected our children too. Because there are just some really... There's there are great times. I mean, there are great times. My son Hunter, you know, he shares the room next to us. Uh, earlier episode, that dude was singing like crazy, watching Pie Pie every night. He goes to bed, he sings "Jesus Loves Me," um, and there's just there is such a beautiful innocence. Um, the best was when he was watching. He loves watching the Santa Claus, the Disney version. He to this day is convinced that Tim Allen is Santa. And he's watching the movie the other day, and um, I said, well, he says, he doesn't understand why Frost wants to be Santa. And I said, well, why wouldn't you want to be Santa? I said, don't you want to be Santa? He says, no. I said, why not? He doesn't get any presents. He has to give everything away. I tell you what, I laughed so hard at that. So you're pretty smart, kid. Real smart. The guy does all the work. He gives everything away, and he gets no presents in return. I understand that thought process, but it just, those things that come out are just so innocent. Yeah. I mean, yesterday, Darth Vader's the bad guy because he's black. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can't, you can't say stuff like that. People are going to look at you funky. But it was such an innocent statement for him because that's the bad guy in Star Wars. Mommy wears black. Well, he wears black and then, you know, Luke Skywalker wears white. And Yeah. And it was, but it was just one of those moments where... In this day it's and age, it so could have been taken out of context. It could have, terrible. but at the same time, it's just so innocent that it just—it made me laugh. It just really made me laugh. Well, you know, the the other thing about it is, um, if I can keep my train of thought here, we, we've been through the ringer relative to, to medication, to school, um, to people calling outside services on us, um, Ignorance is not bliss, people. No, I mean we've we've just been through it in our experience, and 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 sometimes what can we do to support? We don't know, but sometimes sharing a conversation or having somebody who can simply just relate to what you're going through is something that will help. You know, and if you really, a lot of times you just bottle these things up. You bottle these things up, and they don't come out until you've been. 10, 15, 20 days with very little to no sleep and your child's losing their crap and the medication that they're on is, is, has turned them into a a zombie, but not like one of those zombies that sits in the corner. It's like one of the walking dead where <laughs> they're out of control and they're 
you know, screaming, biting, kicking. And there's just no peace, no rest, no sanity within your life because you're going through one of those hard moments. I was, um, Hunter and I were going through a, an exceptionally hard time. I mean, there was one point where he's like, I don't want your last name. I want my papa's last name. I don't want to be like you. And I mean, oh my gosh. All this because when he was five, I told him he couldn't move to another state. To go be with his grandparents. Because he's my child. He's my responsibility. And I love my children and I take care of them. And, you know, it was just something. It's one of those anchors that has affected him. And, you know, I in my heart, I was starting to kind of grow cold a little bit towards him because he was hurting me. Mm-hmm. He was hurting me like very few people can. And. I got it's the it's the neatest thing. I got a couple of dreams that happen, you know, uh, I think maybe two within a week or two of themselves. And it really presented to me. His innocence and how valuable and how much that needs to be protected. And it really shook me to the center of who I am. And being a man of faith, I really just, you know, had a lot of gratitude for those dreams coming my way and showing me how innocent he truly is even through the times where i just want to rip my rip my hair out because it gets so difficult it's not all bad and yes it's a challenge yes it's difficult um especially those times as we start to wrap this up where it starts to sink in that for the rest of your life you and the rest of their life you know chance wise at least for the rest of your life, that you will have, you know, these growing adults um, with you. And they're not going to have the opportunity to go out and experience life and create their own family, create their own career. And um, what that means for you as a parent and you as, you know, a married couple. And those things can be difficult, especially when they start to sink in because, you know, that's when reality starts to really open its hand and show you what life is going to be like. Um, and it's not easy for people to take, and thank God that Jeannie and I have each other. Um, we are home team, and, you know, we have great children that, you know, support us and help us through, you know, the day-to-day a lot of times with our situation. But we we want to offer ourselves as a resource for support, um, a phone call, um, an email, whatever there is that, that we can do, um, allow us to help you. Now, <clears throat> we're not we're not like professional MDs. <laughs> no, we're just experts in what we've been through. Yeah, and we can uh, we can give you a, a platform or you know, those you're connected to somewhere where they can just, what I like to call, let the air out of the balloon. Talk to somebody who can understand. Yeah, there's a lot of places that you can go to get information and get support. Um, But what we found is some of those places can be so filled with negative and, um, you know, just hard times and what to expect. And they set you up to expect the worst of everything and expect everything to be a fight. And sometimes it's just not the case. You just need someone to come up beside you and say, okay, this is going to be a hard battle, but I can do this with you. And if we look at it from this perspective, or, you know, Quincy and I are constantly saying on a highlight, highlight today, autism's happy. You know, it, it's an ongoing joke between the two of us, but I would take a happy day yeah. 
over a screaming because I'm hurt or I'm angry day anytime. But if you, when we went through it in the beginning, we didn't have the support that we needed because the people around us didn't understand. They knew just as much as we did, if not less. And the people that we went to for resources, their experiences were different than what ours had been. So we got a lot of not necessarily misinformation, but unhelpful information for our situation. And it just made me so hard and cold towards a lot of things because I expected that to be the norm. If you're going through it or you know someone who's going through it, I would rather them contact us and be able to relate, not necessarily tell you what to do or where to go, but I can relate to what they've gone through. Mm -hmm. I can relate to where they're at. You know, we're getting into the adult side of things and now this is a whole new, a whole new journey for the two of us. But it's one of those places that as I'm going through it, I'd still like to have people next to me. Yeah. And I, and one of the, even though this is kind of, it kind of feels like it's been a, you know, down in the mouth type podcast there. Anytime I get super low, um, you know, I just kind of resign to the fact that, uh, I still, I still get to experience my children with autism telling me that they love me. Even when it's, mm-hmm. even when it's the worst of the worst, they can say, dad, I love you. Or <laughs> Kirsten um, coming and planting herself in her, your lap the other night. That yeah. was, she hasn't done that in a long time. And here comes 19 years and 140 pounds. And she just dropped right on his lap and laid in his chest. Hi, dad. It's like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a moment right there, buddy. Yeah. It's uh it's those moments. I mean, there are parents out there whose children will never say a word. They will never speak a word. They will never say, I love you. They will never say, hi, dad, hi, mom, or anything. And so I have to reach towards some place, you know, to, to set my feet, to reaffirm my foundation, and to have gratitude. Um, and Thanks. so that's how we do it. And then we know that, you know, when, it, when it's all said and done, we know we have each other yeah. through this experience. And that is what we'd like to offer. So don't uh, don't forget our email address. It's uh, Jeannie, which is J-E-A-N-N-E, uh, at mvsmpodcast.com or Quincy at mvsmpodcast.com. Feel free to reach out to us. For those of you who are emailing us, shout out to you uh, for doing life on purpose and growing, challenging yourself to grow. Thank you for asking the questions. Thank you for accepting our perspective. Especially the last guy that emailed. We'll get into his show soon enough. Um, He'll be Jack and she'll be Jill. But just the aha moments that look like in the email, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't think of that. Oh, wow, I didn't think of that. It's very gratifying to know that, you know, you can pour your heart into somebody's experience and it can change for the better. Mm Mm-hmm. With that being said, that is round one. Yeah, round one. I don't know when the next one is, but at least that's round one for autism support and man versus marriage. Um, If you have family members with autism, we love you. We don't know you, but we love you because you are our people. If you have family members and friends that have autism, we love them. We don't know them, but they're our people. 
and we're here to give you some sort of support. Um, and we don't know what that looks like, and you don't either yet, but allow us to help you. You've got the email addresses. You know the website, manversusmarriagepodcast.com. You can reach us there. And uh, if you got my phone number, we'll reach to me there. Send me a text. If you don't have it, it's because it's not that time yet. Mm. But uh, for all of us here at Man Versus Marriage, she is Jeannie Moran. I am Quincy the Q Dog. And this is Man Versus Marriage. The podcast. How good do you want your life to be? You gotta live on purpose for a purpose. It's truly about becoming the best version of yourself. It's possible. This is Man vs. Mary, the podcast.